no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and we're beginning a new series today with part one of The Deadly Dangers of Materialism. What does the Bible say about materialism? Are you selfishly hoarding what God has given you? Do you spend most of your income on personal comfort and pleasure? Are you sinfully craving the wealth God has not given to you? Well, in this series, Tom will explore what the Bible teaches us about the three deadly dangers of materialism in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Today, we'll unpack the first danger of materialism, that is, being wholly consumed by material possessions and physical comfort. Well, Tom, materialism certainly is a danger to spiritual health. What can we expect to learn during this series? You know, our Lord has so much to say about this crucial topic. And in this passage, he's going to help us understand just how important an issue materialism really is. That ultimately, how we view the resources he's provided helps us determine our spiritual condition, our spiritual health. And by understanding this, we can really see where our allegiances really are. Because in the end, we have to decide. Jesus says we can't serve both wealth and God. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed. In 1984, which some of you remember, Madonna, who was popular at the time, was the first to record the lyrics that in many ways summed up the 1980s. It's a song that was redone, has been redone several times through the intervening decades, but the most famous line in that song that you have probably heard is, I'm just a material girl living in a material world. That really summed up that decade and summed up the materialism that that was the 80s. Sadly, the culture of materialism that those lyrics celebrate didn't fade with Madonna or with her song. In fact, I think the chokehold of materialism has grown greater in the intervening years. Now, let's begin by making sure that we're talking the same language. What exactly is materialism? Webster defines it this way, it is a preoccupation with or emphasis on material objects and comforts with a disinterest in or a rejection of spiritual values. The shorter Oxford English Dictionary defines it this way, it is a tendency to prefer material possessions and physical comfort to spiritual values. Listen to that again. A tendency to prefer material possessions and physical comfort to spiritual values. Now, by those definitions, clearly materialism is rampant in our world. This is nothing new. In fact, uh, writing 500 years ago, John Calvin, speaking of this very passage, says this, 
This deadly plague, that is the plague of materialism, reigns everywhere throughout the world. It reigns today. And it reigns not only in the world at large, but in the U.S. specifically. The impact of our culture's rampant materialism hasn't stayed outside the church. In fact, it permeates the Christian community as the church continues its slide toward worldliness. But tragically, through the influence of the charismatic movement, materialism has not only become acceptable, it's even become spiritual. This has happened through the false teaching of the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel has literally ransacked the American church, and not merely the American church, but the worldwide professing church of Jesus Christ. The prosperity gospel teaches that God wants all true believers to experience financial prosperity here. Usually, those who hold to the prosperity gospel also believe that physical healing is the right of every follower of Jesus Christ. And that if you just have enough faith, you will enjoy health from disease and illness, and you will enjoy financial prosperity. It's often referred to as the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It essentially says God wants you to have your best life here and now. The prosperity gospel in modern times was probably birthed through the ministry of E.W. Kenyon. He lived from 1867 to 1948. He was connected to a Baptist church, but after studying the metaphysical cults, Kenyon became convinced of the value of positive confession. That is, of speaking what we want into being. And that transferred with his quasi-Christian roots into simply demanding of God by positive confession whatever it is we want from him. Kenyon then combined that idea of positive confession with new ideas about financial prosperity. Listen to Kenyon. Quote, God never planned that we as Christians should live in poverty, physical, mental, or spiritual. He will give you the ability to make your life a success. Now remember, his primary ministry, quote unquote, was during the first half of last century. Now this idea of the prosperity gospel that he really began became popular through the ministry of another false teacher by the name of Kenneth Hagin. Kenneth Hagin even plagiarized large portions of Kenyon's works. He quotes him often, but he plagiarized large portions without giving him any credit. Today, the prosperity gospel is what defines the charismatic movement. From Joel Osteen to Joyce Meyer to T.D. Jakes, there is the shameless promotion of the idea that God wants you to be happy, healthy, and rich. Listen to the Los Angeles Times talking about Paul Crouch and TBN. L.A. Times writes this, Paul Crouch calls it God's economy of giving. And here's how it works. 
People who donate to Crouch's TBN will reap financial blessings from a grateful God. The more they give TBN, the more he will give them. Being broke or in debt is no excuse not to write a check. In fact, it's an ideal opportunity. For God is especially generous to those who can give when they can least afford it. He'll give you thousands, hundreds of thousands, Crouch told his viewers. Now, the Pew Forum research points to the fact, through their research and data, that 90% of those who would call themselves charismatics worldwide embrace some form of this prosperity gospel. 90%. This is not an aberration. This is not the backwater part of the larger charismatic movement. This is what defines the charismatic movement. For example, Robert Morris has written a book entitled The Blessed Life. He calls the message of this book his life's message. The thesis of his book is that every Christian must give the first 10% of his income to the church. And to be truly blessed, he must give offerings beyond that 10%. And according to Morris, if you will do that, you will absolutely experience financial return here and now. In fact, in preaching one of the chapters that became his book, he said this, quote, The only reason I'm asking you to do that, that is to tithe, is for your own good. He says, I'm tired of hearing about families that are losing jobs and losing income and losing family and losing kids and losing marriages because the devourer is devouring them. Borrowing that expression from Malachi 3. And God tells us very simply, if you bring the tithes to the storehouse, if you give 10% of your income to this church, God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he ends with this expression. It's a pretty good deal for 10%. The last chapter of Morris's book is entitled, Guaranteed Financial Results. In that chapter, Morris writes this, If you will follow the principles I've outlined in these chapters, you will get remarkable, positive financial results guaranteed. And then he uses himself and his wife as an example. He says, Less than six weeks from the day Debbie and I gave every penny we had, God had told him to give away his entire existence, according to him. He says, Six weeks from the day that we gave every penny we had, God, by his grace, restored it all and then some. Think about it, he says. Within 40 days, we found ourselves with more money than we had before giving it all away in that one offering. God guarantees financial results. That's the prosperity gospel. Now, this idea of the prosperity gospel that permeates the charismatic movement from the radical prosperity gospel that you see on TBN to the more moderate forms that are around as well has now infiltrated non-charismatic Christianity. In a recent survey here in the U.S., 46% of those who claim to be Christians agree with the idea that God will give material wealth to all believers who have enough faith. This is deeply, deeply troubling. 
because it runs completely contrary to the spirit of what our Lord teaches. In fact, Sinclair Ferguson, writing about this influence, says this, Instead of delivering us from our fascination with this world, such teaching only immerses us further in it. We fall into the error of making material prosperity as the ultimate mark of God's blessing, whereas Jesus tells us the marks of God's blessing are poverty of spirit, mourning for sin, and persecution for the sake of righteousness. He goes on to say, real spirituality is not seen in the gathering of wealth, but in being delivered from loving it, whether we have it or don't. End quote. Folks, materialism in all of its forms is patently wrong. Whether it comes to us through the influence of an unregenerate society or whether it comes to us through the Trojan horse of aberrant teaching from those who are in some way connected with Christianity. Our Lord clarifies for us what our thinking as his disciples should be about the issue of personal wealth and possessions and our belongings. Now, before we look at the specific text, let me just remind you of the overall structure of the Sermon on the Mount so you can reorient yourself. The first verses of the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in chapter 5, verse 3, and running down through verse 16, Jesus describes what the citizens of his kingdom are really like. He describes their character in the Beatitudes, and then in those famous metaphors of salt and light, he describes what their influence is, what our influence as his disciples is. Then he comes to the body of the sermon, in which, beginning in chapter 5, verse 17, and running through chapter 7, verse 12, he describes the righteousness of those who are citizens of his kingdom. This is how the citizens of his kingdom live. He describes a right relationship to the Scripture. We're looking in chapter 6 at a right relationship to God. Instead of doing what we do in our spiritual activities for our own honor and glory, we do it for His honor and glory. And in chapter 7, verses 1 to 12, he describes a right relationship to others. That's the body of the sermon. The third part of this sermon is... Our Lord describing the dangers of the kingdom, beginning in chapter 7, verse 13, running down through verse 27. This is, in a very real sense, his conclusion. And he tells us, when it comes to the kingdom, you better beware. Beware of finding the wrong entrance. Beware, he says, of false teachers who will lead you to the wrong entrance. And beware of a false profession. That is... You understand the truth, but you aren't willing to really acknowledge him as Lord. Now, chapter 5, verse 17, through chapter 7, verse 12, then, is the body of Jesus' sermon. And the body of that sermon is bracketed with the expression, the law and the prophets. Notice Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law are the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And the body of the sermon ends in chapter 7, verse 12, with that same expression. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. 
The law and the prophets is Jesus' term for what we call the Old Testament, for the scriptures that were then in existence. And Jesus then, in this sermon, is exegeting the Old Testament. He's explaining for us how to live in light of the scripture that was then in existence. So how does chapter 6 fit into the flow of Jesus' argument? Well, in chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, Jesus established that his true disciples are characterized by genuine righteousness, as opposed to the scribes and Pharisees, whose righteousness was external. In the rest of chapter 5, then, Jesus contrasts true righteousness, that of his disciples, against what the Pharisees were teaching. He says, you have been told this by the Pharisees, but I say unto you, here's a right understanding of the Old Testament Scripture. In chapter 6, Jesus contrasts the true righteousness of his disciples against not what the Pharisees were teaching, but what they were practicing. And Jesus said, if you're going to be my true disciple, you can't be after your own honor when you do spiritual activities like giving and praying and fasting. Instead, you must do it secretly, and you must do it to talk to your Father and for His honor. The rest of this paragraph continues to contrast what His disciples do with their wealth in contrast to what the Pharisees did and taught about wealth. Now, the entire paragraph that runs from verse 19 of chapter 6 down to verse 34 is dealing with our response to material things. You can see this in the repetition that is here in the terms that Jesus uses. Notice in verse 19 and 20, he speaks of treasures, treasures that can be moth-eaten, destroyed by rust, and stolen. In verse 24, he speaks of wealth. And then beginning in verse 25 and running through the end of the chapter, again and again, he speaks of food and drink and clothing. So he's talking about wealth and the ownership of possessions and how to respond to these material things. In this paragraph, in verses 19 to 24, Jesus helps us recognize the dangers of materialism. In verses 25 to 34, he begins to teach us how to overcome the dangers of materialism. Now, there's some overlap that you'll see as we go through, but largely that's the right division. The whole paragraph about materialism. The first half of this paragraph, he wants to show us the dangers of materialism. And the second half, he wants to show us how to overcome those dangers. Now, I want us to begin today our study of verses 19 to 24. Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, in this paragraph, Jesus reveals three deadly dangers of materialism. And he identifies those dangers in three very pointed statements. Notice he ends verses 19 to 21 with this statement in verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's danger number one. Danger number two comes in verses 22 to 23. Notice the statement he ends verse 23 with. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The third danger comes in verse 24. And he ends this verse with this statement. You cannot serve God and wealth. Those three statements summarize the three great dangers of materialism, and we'll unpack them as as we come to each of them as we flow through this text. Today, we're just going to begin to examine the first deadly danger. The danger is this. Let's express it this way. One deadly danger of materialism is being completely consumed by materialism. Being completely consumed by materialism. And Jesus will explain that in verse 21, and we'll, we'll unpack that when we get there. As we work our way through this first danger, it's found in verses 19 to 21, we're going to look first at the wrong approach to personal wealth. This is in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The Greek word for treasures here is a word that has been transliterated into English. It's the word thesaurus. When we speak of a thesaurus, it is a treasury of words. That's the word that's used here. Literally, Jesus says this, do not treasure to yourselves treasures on earth. He uses the verb form and the noun form in the same sentence, which is a little awkward in English, but that's what he says. Do not treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, this was already a problem with Jesus' disciples, as it is with all fallen human beings. Where did the disciples learn this approach to wealth. Well, what Jesus is teaching against here was exactly what the Pharisees did. The disciples learned this from their upbringing, sitting under the scribes and the Pharisees. Listen to what Jesus said about the Pharisees' approach to wealth. Luke chapter 11, verse 39. He says, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery. They were stealing from people because, like all false teachers, they love money. In fact, Luke 16, 14 says, now the Pharisees were lovers of money. Because of this insatiable appetite to increase their own personal wealth, they took advantage of others. In fact, in Luke chapter 20, verse 47, and this is repeated in Mark's gospel as well, as well as in Luke, 
And that is that the Pharisees devoured widows' houses. They preyed upon the defenseless, those who who had wealth but could not defend themselves. They put them on guilt trips. They manipulated them, and they essentially stole. They were full of robbery. They manipulated them into giving everything they had. That's, by the way, the story of the widow and her two mites. Jesus had had enough when he saw how the system the Pharisees had put together, built on the backs of the poor, built this poor widow out of everything she had to live on. And it still happens today. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part one of his series titled The Deadly Dangers of Materialism. Tom will have part two for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.